Hi, welcome to this episode. As you know, I like interviewing scholars, students, academics, amateurs that are very passionate about their topic. As you see, we're talking with Noah Tetzner, and I'm sure you'll hear how excited I was to record this podcast. This is the first time we've had somebody officially talk about Vikings. He's the host of the History of Vikings podcast. If you do enjoy this topic, please head over and check out his podcast. It's wonderful. I'm Rosie. I'm a Francophone from Canada, and this is my podcast. Time to jump into some history, hey? Today we're talking with Noah about Vikings, which is my favorite topic, I have to admit. Well, I'm excited to be here. So I just like to ask Noah, how did you get interested in Vikings? Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. Well, thanks for being here. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you about Vikings because, of course, it is one of my favorite topics as well. I mean, I've always loved history. I've always loved so many different time periods in history. Um, and I don't know, the Vikings just stood out to me for whatever reason. I think what most interested me about the Vikings when I first really dug into sort of that period in history about two years ago was just sort of the mysticism surrounding who the Vikings were, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. Certainly when talking about the Middle Ages, there isn't as much concrete evidence, be it um literary or archaeological when compared to other periods in history, but that's especially true of the Vikings. So really just uncovering who the Vikings really were is what got me interested to that period in history. Um, you know, growing up, I was like everybody else. I just thought the Vikings were this raiding pillaging warrior, barbaric, um, uncivilized society that apart from their raids hadn't really accomplished a whole lot throughout their really spotlight in history um, from around 800 AD to 1066 AD. But really what interested me in the Vikings was how complex their society truly was and how complex their literature was when talking about the Icelandic sagas and the various poetic pieces of literature that describe Norse mythology. And how I got interested in the Vikings was I was, I believe, a junior in high school here in the United States. And my literature teacher assigned us to read the Saga of the Volsungs as part of our literature class, which in the United States is quite unusual. Um, mm -hmm. Normally, that stuff doesn't really get brought up in school. But my literature teacher was really exceptional. I uh, loved him very dearly. And he assigned us to read the Saga of the Volsungs. And as soon as I started reading that, I absolutely fell in love with the story and that piece of literature. And I had gone on YouTube as I wanted to learn more about um, the Saga of the Volsungs. And I had begun watching videos about it and reading you know, articles and scholarly works written about it. And I stumbled upon the YouTube channel of a scholar from the University of Colorado Boulder named Dr. Jackson Crawford. And he had made a three-part video series on the Saga of the Volsungs, each video uh, 20 minutes in length, and it really just dove so deep into this piece of literature. 
And as I continued to watch more of his videos where he um, educates people on uh, Norse language and myth, I discovered that there was so much more to Norse literature than just the Saga of the Volsungs. I soon discovered the poetic Edda, stories of the Norse gods and heroes, and um, I absolutely fell in love with Old Norse literature. So it's really thanks to my um, high school literature teacher that I um, became fascinated with Vikings and started my podcast, The History of Vikings. Mm -hmm, which is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, again, I'm, I'm very happy you're here uh, to talk about this topic. And I'll probably say this many times. <laughs> So much for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad to be here, Rosie. And um, I must say, I do enjoy listening to your podcast as well. So it's always great when we can get uh, two Viking lovers together and uh, yeah. <laughs> real treat for me. Absolutely. So you kind of want to talk about the daily life during the Viking Age. That is, you know, going to be the topic of this conversation. Are we looking at breaking some myths or just going through their daily life and explaining what their life in general would be like? Yes, absolutely. Well, I think perhaps it might be most beneficial to the listeners if we broke some myths about the Vikings, just because there are so many. And let me <laughs> start, start by saying that, um, you know, for those unfamiliar with the Viking Age as a period in history, there is sort of this enduring image um, that um, one has about the Vikings of being, as I mentioned earlier, sort of these beastly, barbaric, uncivilized warriors that, um, you know, uh, pillaged and raided all day, um, particularly Christian monasteries in the British Isles. And while that's true to an extent um, in terms of the violent nature of the Vikings, um, I just want to address some of the most common myths that people usually have about the Viking Age. And let me start with the most famous, and that is that the Vikings never actually wore horned helmets, believe it or not. Many of you are probably familiar with this piece of fact already, but the Vikings never wore horned helmets. That's a actually invention of the Victorian era, particularly the um, German operas of composer Richard Wagner, um, the famous song Ride of the Valkyries, um, great piece of classical music as featured in that show. That is really late 1800s when this idea of Vikings wearing horned helmets came about. And if you think about it, just um, very basically, you know, if you're fighting in medieval combat and you have this great protruding object from your head, um, you know, it would be quite easy for your opponent to be it with a sword or some other means, you know, catch you off guard by knocking that off your head. Um, so horn helmets were not actually a thing during the Viking Age. Um, also, the Vikings did raid and pillage, that is certain, uh, but so did many other societies during the Middle Ages. So I don't really think the Vikings were exceptionally violent as they are often portrayed. In fact, they were, I would say, as violent as the contemporary societies of the Middle Ages. Indeed, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor Charlemagne noted for, you know, killing a great number of the Saxon peoples, you know, especially in terms of spreading his religion of Christianity, unfortunately, by rather violent means. Um, so, you know, the Vikings were violent in an age of violence, but they weren't exceptionally violent. Raiding and trading went hand in hand, and that was something a great deal of medieval society did. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Another myth people have about the Vikings is that they were um, barbaric, beastly, or sort of uncivilized. And uh, that isn't quite true. I believe it was John of Watlingford, a medieval writer who actually lived in England during the time of the Vikings. And he actually wrote, uh, in this fact was introduced to me by um, Yale history professor Anders Winroth, who I had the pleasure of interviewing on my podcast, that John of Watlingford wrote something about the Vikings in a piece of medieval literature. Uh, the name of that piece of literature escapes me, but I'm sure you can just look it up on the internet. Uh, and it basically said that, you know, our English women uh, want to run away with Vikings because they they smell good and they bathe every day. And actually, if you look at the the word for bathing day in Scandinavian language, this is something that would occur every Saturday. It actually means bathing day. You know, Saturday means bathing day. If you um, track the old Scandinavian root of the word, those are probably the most common myths people have about the Vikings. And in terms of the etymology of the word Viking, Viking is a job description. It's not an ethnicity. When we're talking about Vikings, um, we're talking about people during the Middle Ages from Scandinavia and Iceland who went a Viking, that is to go raiding. If you break down the Old Norse roots of the word Viking, it basically means a pirate who lurks in a, a fjord or a sort of cove. So Viking is really a word that only describes those Scandinavians who went off raiding and trading. However, most people, because the word has been um, so frequently incorrectly used, we use it to describe basically all Scandinavians who lived during the Middle Ages. So those are, I think, the most common myths and misconceptions about the Vikings that people have. Yeah. And you mentioned very quickly, by the way, the Viking Age. So depending on, I guess, uh, what area you're studying, I know that there's different ages. So there's sort of a Scandinavian version of the Viking Age, and there's a England or British version of the Viking Age. Can you highlight that a little bit for our listeners to understand what time period we're mentioning here? Absolutely. Yeah, it's greatly, it's a greatly debated um, <laughs> yeah. subject, you know, when did the Viking Age begin and end? But, you know, I try not to be pedantic about it. And I would say, and most people would agree with me, that the Viking Age really began in 793 AD with the Raid of Lindisfarne, which is most dramatically and famously written about in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Mm -hmm. um, so that is really the first major Viking raid, or at least the, the first major Viking raid that was born in the minds of the medieval Christians in Europe. And, and the Viking Age is um, considered to have ended in the year 1066 with the death of really the last great Viking king, Harold Hardrada of Norway, at the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Um, so that's kind of the, the time period we're dealing with here. Perfect. That helps place it in history for anybody who's not super familiar. So we've talked a little bit about who are the Vikings, but who are they in their daily life? Well, just like most 
lay people in medieval Europe, most of the Scandinavians who were not off raiding and trading would have been managing a farmstead, um, a, a humble farmstead, probably in a rural portion of Scandinavia. You know, cities and towns certainly existed, um, but most people would have lived in sort of rural communities that um, would have been made up of several you know, farmsteads, several of these farming homes, and together they would have uh, encompassed a small agricultural community, and those would have been spread across Scandinavia. So um, the daily life of the Vikings, or more correctly, the daily life of the medieval Arabians can really be broken down between the roles of men and women. Men generally were tasked with jobs occurring outside the threshold of the home, that is, planting grain, tending the crops, tending the livestock, you know, fishing, um, the construction of longships, the construction of weapons, you know, things that were typical of the male gender role during the Middle Ages. And women would have been tasked with jobs occurring within the threshold of the home. So that would have included uh, cooking, managing the household in all forms. Um, sewing certainly was a big one. You know, most people fail to remember that um, cloth and linen was really the plastic of the Middle Ages. So a Scandinavian woman would spend great hours, you know, hours and hours on end just crafting one single piece of cloth. And actually, when talking about the Viking longship, the sale of the Viking longship made of cloth would have been something that the women were tasked with creating as well. And that would have taken months and months, if not even years, to finally create that. And then, um, interestingly enough, that would have been covered in animal fat, sort of waterproofing it. Uh, so that's a little interesting tidbit of history. But really, the roles of men and women, the difference in them kind of defined the daily life of the, the Viking Age. Um, so really, men responsible for jobs occurring outside the threshold, women responsible for jobs occurring within the threshold. And of course, from time to time, those differed and changed. But really, that was how it was in Viking Age Scandinavia. That sounds pretty much like every other peoples at the time. Yeah. I remember reading actually about a boat building technique where they have, is it lapship, I think it's called? Yeah. And when they traveled, what happened at that point? They weren't peasants anymore. Right, right. Um, so really, the interesting thing about the Viking Age is, um, you know, it puts Scandinavia in the spotlight. And really, there's there's only two periods in history that Scandinavia becomes so prevalent. And that is, A, the Viking Age, and B, the time of the great military leader, Gustav Adolphus. So the Viking Age really puts Scandinavia in the spotlight. And unlike sort of mainland Europe, you know, Scandinavia wasn't as well known. Uh, certainly the Scandinavians would have traded with European peoples during the Viking Age. Um, but it's interesting to note that many Europeans were shocked to probably see these Scandinavians who looked in some ways different from them when they would raid their coastal villages, towns, and monasteries. You know, um, Roman and Greek explorers during ancient times uh, never made it so far north as Scandinavia. 
indeed the Roman historian Tacitus, who provides some evidence as to how the Vikings worshipped their gods, never even quite made it so far north as Denmark. Um, Otherwise, most of his writings and the writings of other historians and explorers focus on the activities of the barbarian tribes and pagan peoples of um, Germania. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to note that the Viking Age is really this time of great shock and great surprise. The Vikings would go on raid after raid, raiding up and down the coastlines of France and the British Isles, as well as you know Germany. And you mentioned their shipbuilding techniques, and that's something that really enabled them to be so successful. Mobility is what enabled the Vikings during the Viking Age. And The interesting thing about the Viking longship is that the hull was slightly lower and deeper than that of other contemporary boats, and also the way that the wood was built within the ship, it was overlapping. And what that did is it enabled the Viking longships to sail in very shallow waters, as well as the great Atlantic Ocean. So a Viking longship was perfectly capable of, you know, traveling many miles across an ocean, as well as sailing up shallow rivers right down into the heart of uh, mainland Europe, into the towns and cities there. So the Viking Age is certainly defined in the earlier years, the seven and eight hundreds by uh, smaller raids. But as the Viking Age progresses, you start to see the forthcoming of great Viking armies. In fact, the great heathen army was a coalition of Viking clans that um, attempted to invade England during the mid-800s AD. And the main character of the TV show Vikings, Ragnar Lothbrok, a legendary Viking king whose existence is uh, often debated, his sons are said to have led that army. And then towards the end of the Viking Age, you really have the formation of proper nation states in Scandinavia, you know, less tribes and war bands and chieftains and more kings with proper kingdoms. And that is Harald Hardrada of Norway, who ruled over both Norway and Denmark. He is credited as being the last great Viking king. So that's really how the Viking Age was laid out. So mention the travels in general. So they went to Britain and they went to Spain and France and the Middle East even. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's incredible to note how far and wide the Vikings actually traveled. And um, an interesting character who I've had the pleasure of covering on my podcast is um, the Arabic diplomat Ibn Fadlan. He was sent by the caliph of the Baghdad of Iraq to deliver a message to the king of Volga, Bulgaria in Russia. And basically, Ibn Fadlan's journey happens from Baghdad, Iraq, and he travels all the way through what is modern-day Russia along the Volga River. And on his travels, he meets an interesting people that he calls the Rus. And um, these are people of Scandinavian origin, very similar to uh, the Vikings. It is debated their ethnic identity, but they were certainly Scandinavian in origin. And um, anybody who reads that account, you can pick it up on Amazon, The Journeys of Ibn Fadlan. It's fascinating, an Arabic person's perspective of Scandinavians during the Middle Ages. He writes about how they were tattooed. He writes about the interesting rituals that happened and the the way in which they worshipped their gods. And most interestingly, he writes about a 
Viking ship burial that he witnessed, whereas um, somebody was buried on a great wooden boat on land and it was set on fire. So it's just an absolutely fascinating account and it's evidence for really how far and wide the Vikings actually traveled. Yeah, that scene with the ship has started so much mythology surrounding the Vikings during the Victorian era. Yes, absolutely. I guess we talked about sort of the daily life a little bit, and then we talked about the warriors, but there's different types of warriors. Did they have an army or a structure such as an army? Well, um, to be entirely honest, there wouldn't have been a great and complex military structure during the early raids of the Vikings. You know, it certainly would have been a few dozen, a handful of um, very skilled and well-armed Viking warriors simply getting out of a boat and wreaking havoc upon the population and the property of wherever they decided to land. Um, But... As the Viking Age progressed, a favorite military tactic of the Vikings and also the Anglo-Saxons who they fought against on numerous occasions was the shield wall. Um, That is just simply a bunch of um, men standing in a line, overlapping shields and building a defensive fortification, whereas they'd all be pointing their, their spears in one direction. And the tactic was very much, you know, let's form a line and hold it. And another interesting fact is that the Anglo-Saxons and the Vikings um, would have looked very similar during the the Viking Age. There wasn't a whole, there wasn't a great deal of difference among those those two peoples during that time. Um, so really, those would have been the the primary military structure of the Viking Age. You know, um, we do read in you know English accounts that the Vikings um, did ride on horseback on a few occasions. So perhaps there would have been cavalrymen, although that wouldn't have been normal, especially because it is difficult to transport horses. You know, from Scandinavia to England or wherever else they they would have been raiding, and and certainly archers as well. Would have been, um, you know, a staple in the the Scandinavian army, but but that's really the breakdown. So they had different tactic at the beginning of their travels to the end of their travel. Right, absolutely, yeah. As the Viking Age progressed, their their tactics and the way that they did warfare and really just sort of what they wanted changed as well. After the initial Viking raids, the Vikings, I would say, became a lot more militarily confident in themselves. And um, after they would raid in the spring and summer, instead of sailing all the way back to Scandinavia over the winter and then coming back again the next year in spring or summer, they would stay over the winter in the place that they were raiding. And um, as they did more and more of that, sort of Viking towns started to pop up throughout, you know, England and the other places where they would have been raiding. You know, the town of York in northern England, which was originally a Roman fortress called Iboricum, eventually became a Viking town, uh, and it was called Jorvik. And um, the Vikings basically took over this old Roman fort and made it into sort of a Scandinavian trade center. So it's it's just fascinating. As the Viking Age progressed, they became a lot more confident and really had even greater influence over the places that they overwintered. And I guess you must know too about Ireland. Do you have some things you want to say about Ireland? That's quite interesting. Yeah, in Ireland during the Viking Age, you know, um, the Vikings are credited with founding the city 
of Dublin and certainly Ireland during the Middle Ages would have had a very large concentration of monasteries as well. So, you know, the Vikings during Ireland during the the Middle Ages would have been, I would say, pretty standard of um, all of the other places that they were raiding. But it is certainly a country that the Vikings left their footprint on. When we look at the raiding and the you know, we don't want to concentrate just on that. But when we do look at the rating, it did create changes, particularly when we look at Britain and the English language. So do you have any of the favorite stories or anything about how it changed the culture in England or in Britain? Uh, Yeah, the Vikings, you know, they greatly influenced the history of England just by living there. You know, the Old Norse language, and I am by no means a linguistic, so unfortunately I can't give you too many specific examples of these changes. But, you know, I, I did an interview on my podcast about the Old Norse language. That is the language of the Vikings, and that's the language that all of their literature was written in. The Saga of the Volsungs was written in Old Norse, uh, certainly spoken in Old Norse, um, passed down orally as a piece of oral tradition. That is how all of these myths about the Norse gods and heroes survived. Within the English language and the very language you and I are speaking today, there are many pieces of Old Norse that we are very unaware of. So that's um, linguistically, the Vikings made a huge contribution to the English language, as well as in place names and cities, such as, um, as I mentioned, York, the modern day city in Northern England. That word stems from the Old Norse word Jorvik, um, which is the name the Vikings had for the city. So really, in, in all sorts of ways, the Vikings influenced the, the places that they raided and eventually come to settle in. Yeah, absolutely. And later on, anybody who learns a little bit of medieval history, specifically about England or Britain, might have heard of Danelaw. So can you explain a little bit what Danelaw was? Sure. The, the Danelaw was the Vikings in England, really. It was the, the Viking establishment in England. I mentioned the great heathen army earlier, so that would have been a um, a great coalition of Viking warriors, supposedly led by the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok, who invaded England during the late 800s during the Middle Ages. And in fact, I I did a podcast episode about the Dane law on the history of Vikings. And for anybody who uh, is wanting to learn more, I absolutely encourage you to check that out. And uh, really, you know, I mentioned a few moments ago, all of the influence the Vikings had on England. And um, that's all in part because of the, the Dane law, the establishment of Viking culture and really settlement in England. And some people might be interested in Vikings these days because of, as you've mentioned, the TV series Vikings or perhaps even The Last Kingdom. Did you find anything interesting in there uh, or surprising perhaps? In the um, in the history of the Vikings in England? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me was um, when researching and studying the Old Norse influence in England was just how much influence they had, how how many words in English are descended from Old Norse words, or at least um, descended from roots of words? Um, That was the most interesting thing to me, um, is just how great an influence the Scandinavians had. As I mentioned, you know, Scandinavia throughout world history um, has never been as significant as other nations, you know, when compared to perhaps China or England or the United States. But, um, 
you know, during this this one snapshot in history, Scandinavia, when it was in the spotlight of European medieval history, it, it really influenced so much. So I, I would say that's the most interesting to me. Absolutely. So if we have the men that are going to sea and the women that are essentially staying behind and some of the men settling in different countries, I guess there was some culture mixing that would happen, right? Right. In many cases, that is true. And um, certainly that is why, you know, many people in Iceland and, um, you know, the British Isles can sort of trace their ancestry back to Scandinavia because that is something that that would have occurred. And you keep mentioning Iceland. So some people might not be very familiar with Iceland, its history. Did you want to talk a little bit about what happened and how this beautiful volcanic island became populated by the Norse? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the Vikings actually discovered and um, settled Iceland during the late 800s and 900s AD. Iceland was really the new world of the Viking Age. You know, many people think of the United States as being the new world of, you know, the 17th and 18th and um, 19th and even early 20th centuries. And that was Iceland to the Scandinavians. Iceland was a cultural phenomenon during the Middle Ages in that all of the myths and stories of the Norse gods and heroes, you know, Norse mythology, um, as we know it today, that all occurred in Iceland. You know, the saga of the Volsungs was very likely created as an oral tradition and written down in Iceland. You know, many people are familiar with the Icelandic sagas that often tell about the discovery and settlement of Iceland, um, but are, you know, fantasized a little bit with appearances from theological beings such as Valkyries and even the god Odin. And, um, all of this great literature associated with the Old Norse world and the Vikings came about in Iceland. So that's that's one of the most significant things about it. Yes. So as you've mentioned, Odin and mythologies, did you want to talk about the sagas or the literature? Since that's also something that got you really interested. Absolutely. Yeah, I love um, Norse mythology. I love the um, Norse myths. When talking about you know sources for Norse mythology... You know, not long ago, I wrote an article for an academic history blog titled um, The Poetic Edda, Studying a Source for Norse Mythology. You know, we're very familiar with the Norse gods, you know, um, be Odin, Thor, Loki, you know, due to the Marvel movies or the Marvel comics. And even, you know, because of Neil Gaiman's American Gods or his popular book, Norse Mythology. But, you know, where do we actually get this idea of the Norse gods from? And we get it from a few different sources. The um, chief of these is uh, a source called the Poetic Edda. And that is a collection of poems written about the Norse gods and heroes. They were all collected in Iceland during the 1200s AD. Now, these stories and myths and legends all probably existed as oral tradition before they were written down and are much older than the 1200s AD when they were written down. But Iceland is the place that, you know, gives us sort of most of what we know about Norse mythology. You know, certainly in Scandinavia, there is evidence for Norse mythology, be it on picture stones, you know, 
um, depicting certain uh, mythological scenes, but Iceland is what gives us these main sources. And the other source that we have for Norse mythology that is literary and one of the most significant is the Prose Edda. So the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. And the Prose Edda was written down by an Icelandic historian called Snorri Sturluson during the 13th century AD. And basically, Snorri was a medieval Christian. And um, just like Christianity has a canon, it's a very canonized religion, um, he kind of Although he didn't want to promote the pagan beliefs of Scandinavians, he did want to establish sort of this mythological canon and basically laid out all of the Norse myths in a way that made sense in sort of a chronological, tangible way. So you could pick up a copy of the Prosetta and read it just like a uh, mythological you know, book that you would buy in modern times. So those are really the two key sources of, of Norse mythology and the Norse myths and legends. And then, of course, you have other sagas, the Saga of the Volsungs and the Saga of Icelanders. And like I said, those all are some things that originate from Iceland. And since you mentioned that uh, Snorri, for example, he didn't want to talk about pagan mythology. So at this point, could you talk a little bit about the religion? Uh, certainly. Well, Snorri was a Christian, and all of the Vikings would have not been Christians. They would have been Nordic pagans. And uh, Old Norse religion is a very interesting topic because, you know, people would often view it as simply being, you know, well, the Vikings worshipped Thor and they worshipped Odin, but it's it's not quite as simple as that. You know, the medieval Scandinavians and Icelanders would have worshipped pagan deities, um, certainly some of those mentioned to us in, in Norse mythology, but um, their religion would have been very localized. So they probably would have worshipped gods that we are unfamiliar with today that would have bore significance to the local fertility and landscape and whichever region they were living in. But by far, Thor seems to be the god of the common man in medieval Scandinavian Iceland. You know, a great many hundreds of uh, Mjolnir amulets have been found throughout Scandinavia. And these are little pendants, little necklaces that people would have worn or kept in their household depicting, you know, Thor's mythological hammer Mjolnir. So that would have been sort of a way of showing their dedication and veneration of the god Thor. So that's a little bit about Old Norse religion. Excellent. Thank you. That's really good. So when we talk about traveling, of course, we talked about the different countries. And there are some countries that they founded, as you've mentioned, Iceland. And I know there's other countries that we don't really talk much about, if you have other ideas or other information. Certainly, you know, um, Iceland was really the new world of the Viking Age, but um, the Vikings also colonized Greenland. Unfortunately, that um, venture was was very short lived, um, and North America as well. You know, Leif Erikson, Eric the Red's son, Eric the Red is the one who he discovered Greenland, and his son Leif Erikson is attributed with um, being the first European to discover North America. And he uh, landed in what is today modern-day Canada, probably on the island of, of Newfoundland. Um, so, you know, those are two other places that the Vikings traveled and are really just evidence of how much of the world the Vikings were able to see. Yeah, and I guess some of their innovative technologies when it came to ships or even building things they had, you know, the type of longhouses that they built. Certainly, yeah. The Vikings would have um, constructed their longhouses um, in a way that would have been able to battle the winter climates, no doubt. 
Mm-hmm. We have talked a little bit about other countries, but if you wanted to talk a little about Normans and what's a Norman, where did they come from? And why am I mentioning it on a Viking podcast? Uh, yeah, well, 1066 was the year the Viking Age ended with the death of Harold Hardrada um, at Stamford Bridge. And of course, William, uh, Duke of Normandy, William the Conqueror, the first king of England, uh, was from Normandy in France. Of course, Normandy would have been a place that the Vikings would have, you know, probably regularly raided um, throughout the the Viking Age. We talked a little bit about women, but what other roles might they have had beyond, you know, sewing the the important garments or sails? Well, that certainly would have been the the chief role of women during the Viking Age. But it's interesting to note that they would have had um, more rights than contemporary societies unfortunately gave women during the middle ages you know at what is today the modern icelandic parliament um the all thing that would have that is actually something that originated during the viking age and you know women were allowed to speak at this parliament they were allowed to own property during the viking age they were allowed to um do all sorts of things that women elsewhere weren't allowed to do you know, by no means were they unfortunately seen as total equals to men during that time, but they were certainly given um, far more rights. And, um, you know, it is a widely debated topic. And again, one that I've discussed on my podcast, you know, did women participate in combat during the Viking Age? There have been archaeological discoveries of women who were buried with swords and all sorts of other warlike tools, weapons, and, and so forth. Um, and that's something that's been widely debated. Now, I am of the belief that this is something that certainly never occurred regularly. And if you look at a, a Viking Age grave, you know, of a of a Scandinavian woman buried with weapons and, and all sorts of other warlike things, it is important to note that the dead don't bury themselves. And, you know, that could be a sign that that Scandinavian woman belonged to a militaristic um, family or was perhaps the daughter of a chieftain or something. You know, but there is other evidence that suggests that that did occur sometimes. And I'm totally open to believing that, you know, some women during the Viking Age did seek combat. And there are all sorts of mythological warlike female figures mm-hmm. that we see in old literature. In old Norse literature, you know, there there are all sorts of warlike female figures, most famously the Valkyries, who are these um, mythological female fate figures. Uh, Odin's Hall of Valhalla in Asgard, you know, when somebody dies in battle, when a warrior or a hero dies in battle, a Valkyrie, this um, female fate figure, as I mentioned, would come down and swoop them up and bring them to Valhalla, which means the Hall of the Slain. So that is one example of how women in Old Norse literature, even if they are mythological, have this um, relationship with warfare. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I know you did talk a little bit about um, the all thing earlier. So for somebody who might not be familiar, I know you've interviewed on your podcast with Dr. Sandmark, and she went into detail. But for somebody who might not know what an all thing is, or what a thing is, or a thing site or an assembly site, can you talk a little bit about the politics of the time? Absolutely. So a thing is an assembly site and settling disputes and, you know, abiding by laws and legal cases. This is all something that occurred in medieval Scandinavia as it did really since the dawn of the the human time. 
And that is something that occurred in Scandinavia. So the thing, thing sites, assembly sites would have, have been found to have been located all across Scandinavia. And this is a place where free men could vote on laws and, you know, legal cases and certainly court poets would have been present. And it's just yet another piece of evidence that confirms what we discussed at the beginning of our conversation, which is the Vikings really were a civilized and complex society. Yes, they weren't just reading and pillaging with complete disorder, essentially. And I like to ask this question, if you had a time machine, and I know it's a silly question, but if you had a time machine and you would come back safely, what would be the thing that you would like to either observe or partake in or be part of the history? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I, I think it would be fascinating to see really how the Vikings did worship their gods, to witness their rituals, their pagan practices, and the relationship they had with their gods, what gods they were worshiping, how they were venerating them. Um, that's something that has always fascinated me, as it is, to a large extent, a great mystery. And what region would you like to be in? Would you prefer the Scandinavian regions or the newly colonized regions of England, perhaps, or Iceland or even Greenland? Yeah, I would say that I would like to be in Scandinavia and um, really witness um, what it was like, what those first Vikings, um, how they were worshiping their gods. Mm -hmm. Mm, That's really interesting. So sort of at the source, completely primary source. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. And I'm just very happy that you took the time to come to the podcast. I know you're really busy. I mean, you put out episodes quite frequently, and I know you do a lot of interviews and a lot of work. So I just want to say thank you again so much for being here, Noah. Well, thank you so much for um, having me on the podcast, Rosie. It's been a pleasure. And um, yeah, I mean, if anyone else is listening and they want to learn more about the Viking Age or Norse mythology or Old Norse literature, do be sure to check out my podcast, The History of Vikings. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, you know, you can follow me on social media at History of Viking on Twitter. Um, And really, I would be delighted if you'd listen to the podcast and join the community that I've created and would be glad for you to be a part of surrounding Viking history. And I'll also put that in the show notes, just in case anybody's driving right now and they just can't look it up. They can look that up later. Thank you again, Noah. It was great. Perfect. Thank you so much. One of the book recommendations that Noah sent me was by Anders Winroth, The Age of the Vikings. I would also like to add The Viking Age by Stephen Brink and Neil Price. Don't forget, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at HistoryA. It would be great if you can rate me on iTunes. Apparently, it really helps people find my podcast. And I'd like to thank my husband, Jamie, our brood of kids, our family, our friends, Without them, I wouldn't be adventuring through history. Un grand merci. And I had a question too. One sec. <laughs> now I forgot it. I should have written it down but I was too interested. I forgot to write it down.